David's kindness to Mephibosheth wasn't predicated upon him deserving it. It was predicated upon the covenant agreement that he entered into with Jonathan. And, you know, we tried to make parallel there between, you know, hey, there's a covenant that took place between these two guys that predated Mephibosheth's life. And in the same way, like, there was a covenant agreement between Father, Son, and Spirit long before we were in the picture. And so it's not our deservedness. It's not um, that we've earned the right to be loved by God. It's that in His own free grace, He's decided to love us. That's really good news. You're listening to The Chopping Block a weekly podcast from City Life Church where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. Well, good morning. Welcome back to The Chopping Block. I don't know what week we're on. Week like six, seven, eight, seven or eight. Yeah. We had a little bit longer one last week. We'll try to keep it a little shorter this week. Um, as we turn to Second Samuel 9 and this story of a guy named Mephibosheth. Kazentide. Andy, could you say Mephibosheth five times fast? No, I already told you. <laughs> I don't want to end up on the interwebs. Accidentally cussing, trying to say this dude's name. Can you spell it right now? We 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 played this game in our city group the other night. M E P H I B O S H E T H. Wow, gold star. Biblical scholar. I may have practiced that a little <laughs> bit. Mephibosheth. So we're going to try to say that name uh, several times this morning as we reflect on this sermon. You know, it's a Short chapter, 13 verses, but man, it felt like a powerful sermon as we gathered for worship on Sunday morning. I felt I felt the room, um, yeah, just a real sense of, of God using this sermon. So I'm, I'm mm. thankful for your words, brother, and uh, excited to talk a little bit more about it. Thank you. You're kind to say that. Well, uh, so we come to this point in the story where We've kind of rehearsed this now, but David is the king of Israel, all Israel. He's uh, consolidated his control. He's taken Jerusalem. He's brought the ark to Jerusalem. He's put down the insurrections and rebellions that have come up in Saul's house. Uh, We kind of come to this interesting part uh, of the story in chapter 9 where David asks, Hey, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul? that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake. Mm. And, uh, you know, if it was a movie, it would, it would, the frame would change to this really, um, maybe, uh, sad picture of this guy in this desolate place who's maybe been forgotten or feels forgotten. And we meet Mephibosheth, uh, and, you know, I thought it was really interesting. You, you you talked about his name means shameful thing or a shameful thing. And I think Eugene Peterson translated it seething dishonor. Really? But it's it's this idea of like 
this dishonorable, shameful reality. Uh, yeah. Which, and by the way, Mel- like my wife, Melanie, uh, in our city group was like, who names their kid that? Right. Like, <laughs> like, how did he end up with this name? It's a fascinating question. I don't have the answer to. Like, yeah. did he, was he given this name later, you know, almost as a, as a title over his right. life? Or, because uh, there's some discussion, like in Chronicles, it says that Jonathan had a son named Ribable. But Baal is like the name of a pagan god, which was probably just as scandalizing as Mephibosheth, which is likely why they changed from right. that name to Mephibosheth. But either way, it's like, yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a, it makes me think of that Far Side comic, like with the two deer talking, and one of the deer has a bullseye <laughs> on his like on his side, and, uh-huh. and the communist bummer of a birthmark, how, which. I found funny. It's like, it's a bummer of a name. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. Uh, I won't try to think of a modern equivalent because I'll offend someone who's got that name. But uh, so, yeah, we, we with David's question, we flashed to a different scene on Mephibosheth and shameful thing. And the place he's living at the time is called Lodabar, which you said means dry places. Mm. I mean, uh, Talk about, you know, negative talk over yourself and, yeah. and, and how that might, what kind of image that might create of yourself. Can you give us a sense of, just remind people kind of contextually why Mephibosheth is here, what, what's, what's, what's happened to his life, and um, kind of the, the historical context of why he'd be living, kind of laying low, kind yep. of trying to stay out of the public view here. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think I use the language of witness protection in my yeah. sermon, but I mean, essentially, this is how kingdoms worked yeah. back then was, you know, when his grandfather Saul died on the battlefield and his dad with him, essentially it left um, an, an heir apparent to the throne vacant mm-hmm. and got it already through uh, the prophet Samuel anointed David. Mm-hmm. Um, and so David already had kind of this militia that had formed around him. There was a following. The people loved David. Um, and so I think it was assumed. I mean, he was even known by Jonathan, like you're going to be the king. Yeah. Um, and so when when those two guys die on the battlefield, I think there was this understanding that David would be king, but common practice was, I, I think Dale Ralph Davis's language was solidification by liquidation. Mm-hmm. In other words, anybody left from Saul's house gets killed mm-hmm. because the fear is if you don't deal with that problem later on, they may try to, you know, gain a following and overthrow the king. Yeah. Um, and so it's like the safest play here is you just destroy the whole household. Um, and so David had this respect for God's anointed. So he, he wasn't going to kill Saul. That ha- Like there's actually two times in the narrative where he has clear opportunity to take Saul out. His, his followers, his militiamen are going, dude, this is your chance. Like God's put him in your, like right in front of you to take right. him out. And David goes, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. So he he had this respect for the office. Mm-hmm. 
with Saul, and he had a love for his friend Jonathan. But with those two guys out of the picture, I think the fear is David's going to clean house and take the throne. Yeah. And so the whole palace kind of goes on the run. I mean, they they leave quickly. Um, it's very obvious to them that the power is lost. We got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And so they run for, you know, a hidden place. Um, and so Mephibosheth is in hiding. Yeah. And he's just resigned to a life of secrecy um, and anonymity. Yeah. And then on top of that, on the way out, he gets dropped and his legs break and never grow back together right. And so he's he's lame. Mm-hmm. And it's really, I mean, he's a five-year-old boy when this happens. I mean, right. it's just tragedy, right? Like, this is tragic. His dad's dead. His grandfather's dead. You know, his he's crippled. Yeah. And he he goes from, you know, a setting of being, like, in the royal family to, like, completely unknown and hidden. Yeah. And it's your, your heart breaks as you kind of unpack the narrative. Yeah, you 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 painted that scene well. What, what how long ago? How long after? You know, he says five years old when this happened to him. How how much longer after could this scene be in chapter nine? We don't know for certain, but most people say somewhere between fifteen and twenty years. So he's now somewhere between twenty and twenty five. Okay. okay. So you just kind of wonder. What's this guy's view of himself and and of the world and of God and like what has this trauma done to him? Mm -hmm. You know, and there might even be people in our congregation or who listening who have, you know, you haven't been part of a of a military coup or or power struggle. You know, you might not be physically disabled in some ways, but who maybe feel like a shameful thing living in a dry place, right? Or maybe they do have an autoimmune disorder yeah. or some sort of physical ailment. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think that reality is probably true for a, a good portion of our people who go, man, like the word spoken over me is Mephibosheth. Mm. I feel this, or, or maybe it's a besetting sin yeah. and just, you just feel this shame. Yeah. It, or maybe you feel forgotten. You feel isolated and alone. You feel like you live in anonymity. You feel unseen by the world. Right. So with that in mind, you understand, you, you made the comment when when David, uh, he asked again uh, someone from Saul's house, Ziba, uh, is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to and he responds by saying, there's still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. Where is he? And essentially, uh, he sends for Mephibosheth. So you can't have made the comment. You might not you might not naturally read this into the narrative as you're reading, but but it makes total sense because of the kind of the story and frame you just you just painted for us. But Mephibosheth probably was very fearful going to David's house. There's probably a sense of impending doom. Why? I mean, well, as you already talked about, because the the common practice was to take out all the living relatives of the previous regime. Right. But, you know, fast forward a little bit ahead and then we'll come back to it. What what we did with what you did with this on Sunday morning was really paying a gospel 
picture for us from this scene with David and Mephibosheth. A gave us a, a gospel lens through which to see it, you know, to begin to see ourselves even as Mephibosheth and see David even as a type or a picture of of Christ's grace to us. Mm-hmm. And so I, I give that, you know, I give that behind the scenes really quickly to go, sometimes we even feel like Mephibosheth going to wanting to avoid the presence of God. Scared. Being yeah. scared. Yeah. Feeling like because of how I view myself and how I view God in this moment, the only thing that can come from this yep. is doom. Yep. Well, trying to fill in some of the gaps in the story, I think uh, some of the guys that I was reading, just trying to reflect on what's happening in this narrative, like you even wonder what the narratives were that were spoken to Mephibosheth about David. You wonder if there were some who were a part of, you know, serving in Saul's house. You go, man, David's the enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, David, you know, wants you dead. Like yeah. all of these. And, and I think we do the same thing with God oftentimes where we we buy into false narratives of who he actually is. We don't think rightly about him. Um, and yet we operate underneath those misunderstandings. And one of the ways that we see that play out in our own lives is that when he summons us, we fear him. Mm. We fear the worst about him. We think he's out to get us. Um, And maybe part of our story begins to be a self-fulfilling prophecy of that very reality. We go, God doesn't love me. Look at my life. Look at where I am. Look at what's happened to me. You know, we, we begin to interpret all of that as like forsakenness. And, and I think, I think that sort of a dynamic is going on in Mephibosheth's life. And I think that sort of a dynamic happens all the time with us where, um, we think the worst about God yeah, and it causes us to fear him and to, to not want to draw near. Well, and you combine that with, the labels over yourselves. Like I can, I can think of clear moments in my past where because I was living under the label of shameful thing because of a sin struggle at that time, uh, because I felt like I was doing spiritually, you know, wasn't reading my Bible enough, wasn't praying enough, was giving into sin in, in a number of different ways that, you know, the, the voice I hear is like, I do deserve, and, mm-hmm. and you know, there's some reality there. We know that like, but like, there's no way yeah. I can be met with grace in yeah. this moment. And that's why I think, you know, kind of the end of the story um, is so powerful because David's kindness to Mephibosheth wasn't predicated upon him deserving it. Right. Um, it was predicated upon, the covenant agreement that he entered into with Jonathan. Mm. And, you know, we tried to make parallel there between, you know, Hey, there's a covenant that took place between these two guys that predated Mephibosheth's life. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, like there was a covenant agreement between father, son, and spirit long before we were in the picture. And so it's not our deservedness. It's not um, that we've earned the right to be loved by God. It's that, in his own free grace, he's decided to love us. Yeah. Um, that's really good news. Yes. Amen. And I, I think 
maybe even more powerfully, your last point, uh, or I think it was your last point, on David didn't just spare Mephibosheth. He spoiled him. Yep. He didn't just acquit him. He adopted him. It literally says he ate his table like one of his sons mm. continually for the rest of his days. Like there was no end to this grace. Um, and there was an actual almost like adoption back into the family of David, the family of the king, and a place at the table that was offered. And so I don't know if you might just speak to that for a moment. I think so often the story we tell ourselves or the gospel is, well, God, yeah, God forgave me, but now he just tolerates me. Mm. You know, I've been, yeah, I've been spared, acquitted, but I'm just, you know, kind of given a back room to stay in. Yep. Uh, stay out of the king's sight. Like, like, grace is so much more than that. Man, too often we live under a paradigm of like, Jesus died to save me from hell, mm-hmm. which he did. That's a reality. It's good news. But I think it's J.I. Packer who says that the pinnacle of, of salvation is, is the, the theology of adoption. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the reality that we were not just acquitted, that we're brought into the family, um, that we're loved. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that we go there often enough. Like Jesus didn't die simply to give us an afterlife. He, he died to give us a life now with him. Yeah. Um, he puts his spirit within us. And he's inviting us into fellowship. You know, he invites us to abide in him, yeah. um, to know him. Um, the father wants relationship with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we miss that a lot, that, that, that new life, eternal life starts in the here and now yeah. and carries on to eternity. But the, the age to come has already broken in mm-hmm. and it's offered to us freely now. Um, I think we can miss that. Um, I think it's a warning for us yeah, to not settle for this version of salvation that's only future-oriented. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't need to be, you know, so present-oriented that we miss, man. There's a greater reality coming. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But we need to live safely in this already-not-yet sort of a paradigm. Yeah. Well, what an incredible thought that... Uh we are all the Lord's Mephibosheths. Um, that was really powerful to think through. I think maybe the the kind of uh, more general question is, I keep having these conversations, had a conversation with a member of the church yesterday on the phone, just talking about how powerful this series in the life of David has been. And one of the reasons is because people so often feel like the Old Testament is inaccessible to them. Mm. Uh, it's foreign to them in the sense that like they can't understand it and they don't see themselves as a part of it. And so this, this thing we've been trying to do uh, to, to preach these stories with a gospel framework and uh, to, to help people see themselves in these stories has been uh, really powerful for a lot of people. I've, I've heard that time and time again. Mm. Question is like, you know, for the person who asked, maybe like, why do we have the freedom to look at Second Samuel nine, the story of Mephibosheth, and say, "Hey, there's a there's a gospel picture for us here. There's a there's a type or picture of, of Jesus here for us. Why do we have that freedom? And 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 how do we um, 
how do we continue to unlock the whole Bible with this really framework, Christ-centered gospel framework? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I mean, I, th- I think my starting place is always Luke 24, right. that, that Jesus, with these disciples on the road to Emmaus, you know, softly rebukes him mm-hmm. for not recognizing that Moses and all the prophets spoke of him. Like that all of these things were, were pictured and predicted. So Jesus really gives us a hermeneutic, which is a fancy word for saying a, 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 a theory of interpretation that centers on him. Yeah, a it way says, of reading the Bible. It's a way of reading the Bible. And he says, it's all about me, right? And then when you read the Gospels, like when you read how the Gospel writers begin to not just tell their story of Jesus, but to pull in the Old Testament into telling that story, they're they're modeling a way for us, right? They're showing us a way to read the Bible, which is with a Christ-centered lens. And so I think that's the framework is, you know, Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible says that every story whispers his name. Yeah. Um, The question I think that you're asking is how do we get there effectively without uh, doing Damage, doing violence, injustice, doing yeah. violence to the text. Like, yeah. how do we let the story still tell a story? How do we how do we read it um, in the flow of uh, the Old Testament narrative? And um, you know, I always think about kind of three levels of reading. Like, what's happening at the level of the text? Like, this is still a story. It's an episode in the story of David. Um. So at the text level, kind of what's going on in the narrative. And that's some of like, even like when you heard me say, hey, imagine with me how Mephibosheth is maybe feeling in this moment or um, what does he look like? That's really trying to just immerse ourselves into the narrative mm-hmm. and read it as a story. And go, What's happening here? Like, and then how's the author employing like, uh, literary devices to tell a good story. All of that's happening at the level of the text. Then we have to read it in the unfolding story. So this is kind of the second level of what's been going on before this moment that informs it. Right. So, you know, a couple weeks ago with Davidic covenant, part of what I tried to do is go all the way back to Genesis and go, there's been an unfolding story that's been transpiring going all the way back to the garden of Eden that gets us to this moment and helps us make sense of it, right? So we have to read the Bible at the level of the text, what's come before it, and, and recognize that there's there's continuity there. There's yeah. there's an ongoing, unfolding drama taking place. And then I think we have to make that third move, which is to go, how do I now read this in light of the person in the work of Jesus, right? Because every story whispers his name and because the whole thing's about him. And so... There are different ways to get there. Sometimes an Old Testament uh, passage um, prepares us for the coming of Jesus. Sometimes it uh, makes a promise that's fulfilled in Jesus. Yeah. Sometimes it directly kind of points to Jesus in this typological kind of way that, that there's a type, which is a person, place, or institution in the Old Testament that prefigures the coming of Jesus and what he'll accomplish for us. Right. Um, so it's not always like, well, it always works this way. Sometimes it's a promise. Sometimes it just prepares us, man, we need a solution here. 
Um, sometimes it pictures and points forward. Sometimes it prophesies um, of a coming Messiah. But somehow, some way, I think we can get to Jesus from the text. And so this one, you know, some of those parallels become pretty obvious. Like yeah. David becomes a type, a picture of the love of Jesus for us. Mephibosheth right. really um, becomes a microcosm of humanity's brokenness and need for a loving king who welcomes us to the table. Um, and we, we, can, we can see it. And, and the other thing that I tell you is just the more, once you start to get that framework and you go, okay, this isn't Aesop's fables on steroids. This isn't just moral lessons it's not less than that. There are moral lessons. I think we talked about that several weeks ago. It's not less than that, but this isn't just moral lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't just do better, try harder, but this is, man, this is an unfolding drama of redemption that culminates in God sending his own son into the world to save us and rescue us and love us. Um, once you get that framework, I would just say the more that you read the stories and immerse yourself in it, you'll start to see these, yeah. these, you know, uh, tethers to the gospel start to connect. Like you'll just, you'll start to see how the dots connect. And then the old Testament becomes amazing. Mm. It just becomes amazing. It's, it's like going from two dimensional to three dimensional in your reading. Yeah. Well, that's so good. Um, I think it's a it's a different way of thinking about and reading the Bible for so many of us. But I hope for for people in City Life Church and those who are listening to the podcast that that's maybe just a, a door open to you that's been closed before as you begin to read the Bible. And, and as we close here today, I think just the word would be if you feel like you're living under the label of a shameful thing, or you're in a dry place, that the king invites you to his table through the person of Jesus. And, uh, man, that's really good news. One of the themes of Scripture is renaming. Yeah. Um, the followers of God are often given new names, and there's the hope of a new name. And Mephibosheth is called Son. If you want to find out more about City Life Church or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.